Hey, what's going on? You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. My name's Jason Bay. You can call me J-Bay. And this podcast is for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate when they go to make a cold call and they're not quite sure what to say or prospects ask them certain questions like, so what do you guys do? Or is there a time that you could call me back? Or can you send me an email? If that's ever happened to you before and you kind of left you a little stuck on the cold calls, you're definitely in the right place. Today we have a bonus episode with Nick and Armand from 30 Minutes to President's Club. It's not on cold calling. How to be disarmingly blunt and drop the formality. Let's get to the episode. I'm super excited for you to listen to this episode. This is something we did a few weeks ago through a webinar. And there weren't really any visual elements to it besides the fact that you could see us talking. So I thought it would be good to put this in audio form too, because the webinar, we got a ton of really great feedback. We had about a thousand people sign up and about 450, 500 or so showed up live. And the feedback we got was that it was one of the best webinars that we did. So I wanted to make sure that you had this in audio form too, especially if you hadn't gotten a chance to listen to it. But the theme here is essentially what we're going to do is talk about how to cold call in a way where it does not put you in a status that's below the prospect. So if you ever felt like you were cold calling and we're not on equal playing ground with a prospect, I think you're definitely going to like this one. We talk about mindset. We talk about structure. How do they structure their day? How do they structure the cold call blocks? How do they structure their research? How they do their intros? How they uh, pitch in the call and talk about what they do? Yeah, and there's just a bunch of goodies in here. So again, this is with Nick and Armand from 30 Minutes to President's Club. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, let's get to the episode today. We got Nick and Armand with us today, and I'm excited. I wanted to talk to these guys about cold calling. I've been on their podcast a couple of times. It's my number one sales podcast. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's the one I'll always go to and listen to. And they were doing these episodes... Uh, that they call their playbooks and they did one on cold calling and i was like dude we got to do a webinar on cold calling and if you guys have followed either of those two's content you know they put out a lot of really good stuff that's tactical like no fluff anything like that and i want to introduce them real quick and we'll get started nick is an enterprise ae at surepoint and he's co-host of the 30 minutes president's club podcast he's also really into wrestling so he's a head wrestling coach at usc does some real estate investing all that good stuff Nick, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you on. Thanks, Jason. Armand is employee number nine at PAVE. He's also co-host of the 30 Minutes President's Club podcast and SDR Leader of the Year winner. And um, he's doing some really cool stuff at PAVE. He's worked at Carta. And uh, he's also a, a, a cold calling ninja. So Nick, Armand, dude, good to jam with you guys on a webinar. We're going to have some fun today. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. And if you listen to the show, definitely give us a shout in the chat. Would love to do some cross-pollination of the teams here, but thanks for everybody for jumping on. So let's talk cold calling. I want to kind of set the stage a little bit here. And if we look at the title of this, you know, how to be disarmingly blunt. Let's start with like the disarmingly blunt part. And I was talking to you guys about this before we started. It seems a little counterintuitive. Like when I think of blunt, I think of like a New Yorker. I saw someone from Long Island. My wife is from Queens. I think of someone that's like maybe almost like a borderline asshole. <laughs> to people, which is probably not what we want to do on a cold call necessarily. But where does this disarmingly blunt thing come from? What does that mean? And why is that important when we're calling people? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm the much less friendly host of the two, so I can I can <laughs> hit on this one. So disarmingly blunt, here's the deal: is a lot of people they want to polish up the niceties. They have all these over formalities. They put on this corporate speak whenever they get into a sales conversation, and what ends up happening is they start asking things like, did I catch you at a bad time? Or how's your day going? Or when they get an objection, they start to stammer and shake and freak out. And literally the purpose of being disarmingly blunt is I'm just going to call things out the way I see them. If somebody says I'm not interested before I've even told them exactly what I do, I'm going to call it out and be like, hey, you actually have something good in place? Or do you just hate getting cold calls as much as I hate making them? And I'll just call it out and have a good time with it instead of putting myself in some sort of position of inferiority. And that's the whole purpose of disarmingly blunt. It's being so in your face and cut and dry to the point, calling out the way it really is, that it's refreshing to the prospect. And they're like, okay, at least they're acknowledging that they're disrupting my day. Well, part of it is like, you know, you talk about pattern interrupt all the time in in sales and that's what it is. Like you're not the person who's stammering like, oh yeah, sir, may I have a moment to tell you why I'm calling? And like, the idea is like, you got to have a little bit of fun when you're making cold calls. And when you laugh and you're a little bit loose and this is line me and Armand Laren is saying like, look, man, I don't even like making these cold calls and I'm sure you don't like getting them. Can I have one minute and I'll tell you why I'm calling and then I'll go away if you're not interested. And when you kind of say it with a chuckle and like, you're like, look, we're in this game together. Instead of being the person who's like, hello, sir, how's your day going? You have a little bit of fun with it and you cut through some of the BS. So I want to comment on a couple things because there's, and we'll dig into, for those of you you know, watching, listening right now, we're going to get into all the tactical, like break down their intro that they just did. And we'll talk objections and we'll talk about the mechanics of a cold call. We're kind of just setting the stage a little bit right now because there's some people I'm seeing in the comments here. And by the way, you guys, there's a Q&A button in Zoom. If you have questions, please direct them to the Q&A. That way I can find them and make sure to, to answer those. But someone said, and it was Jack, does that work better with younger generation versus older folks in the business? Can you guys give some insight into like who you're cold calling? Because I think that's actually really important because you guys are both calling into like very different crowds of people and this same kind of approach and mindset seems to work pretty, pretty well. Nick, who are you cold calling to? Like, who are you calling? I sell to law firms. So I'm legitimately calling like a 70 year old managing partner of a law firm who's like... And I sometimes call into New York City. I also call into California. And so those are sort of people are like talking about the different geographical regions. Like, I think it works regardless of where you're calling into, but I'll call into yep. finance. I'll call lawyers. I'll call IT also. Those are some of the folks that I'll, I'll be reaching out to. To double down on that, I mean, this has nothing to do with being young, old, living in the South, California or San Francisco or New York. I call people who are relatively younger. So I call into venture back tech companies which largely are a younger population of folks who are like early in their career trying to follow the Silicon Valley dream. And I think the whole point of the disarmingly blunt pieces, what it is not is when you say, I'm not interested, I say, hey, you're an asshole, right? That's just blunt and being a jerk, right? Disarmingly blunt is just calling it out the way it is to dispel the tension in the room. Yeah. So the approach here, again, I want to reiterate with you guys, it's not about being an a-hole to your prospects and like calling them out on stuff. It's really like talking about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that they picked up the phone. They probably weren't expecting that it was going to be a cold call necessarily. Might've thought it was something else, a client, someone on their team, whatever. 
and you're just not afraid to call out the awkwardness essentially right. of like what you're doing and not afraid to call out the fact that they might not like, well, most people, there's probably, might is probably the word. Most of the people you're calling are probably not going to like that you called them out of the blue, especially a lawyer, someone that thinks about their time in like 10 minute increments or five minute increments or whatever, right? right. So I think it's a really good way to kind of set. And of course I cold call salespeople. So it's like, I think these are the easiest people to cold call and the hardest kind of at the same time, because they're really critical of how I do that. Let's get straight to it, you guys, actually. Right. Let, let's, <laughs> let's kind of break this down because I know that people are wanting tactics. What I would love to hear from you guys in the chat, what do you guys want to take away from today? What do you want to know about cold calling? Where do you have a challenge? Just hit us in the chat and we're going to take that under consideration and we're going to do this live and kind of customize the content for you. So let us know in the chat, what do you want to get from today? What do you want to hear? What challenges are you having? And uh, let's kind of give people a second to do that because we're going to talk about mindset, how to set up and prep for these calls, the mechanics. We're going to talk about assistance, voicemails, objections. Let us know in the chat, what do you want to get from today? And we're going to see a bunch of stuff pour in here, you guys. So John wants to get a fair, fresh take. Yeah. How do you maximize the first 30 seconds, Jordan asked, voicemails. Let's start with mindset around this. How do you guys approach cold calling from a mindset? Because I feel like this is a trickle down effect, like everything else that we're going to talk about around intros and objection handling and that sort of stuff. How do you think about like the mentality part of cold calling? Where does that fit into the equation? Right. So the thing you can't hide from is cold calling is hard. And if you sit in this state of you're doing a very hard thing all day, you're going to have a pretty rough time. The worst possible thing you can do is start your day, make two cold calls at 815, then go check your email, grab a snack, make a call or five at nine, then go do some work, have a couple meetings. Now it's two o'clock and say, I'm going to make a couple more cold calls. And then you get to the end of the day and you made 12 cold calls and you're like, you were in this state of having to do a tough thing all day. Armand and I are really big advocates of what we call time blocking, which the idea is you do all your research up front. I typically do it in the last hour of my day. So from four to five yesterday, I did research on all the people I'm going to be calling today. I got the contact information straight. I had them all queued up in my my Salesforce instance. So when it's time for me to cold call, I shut everything down. You're shutting Slack down. You're not checking your email. You've had a snack. You've got a LaCroix by your desk. For an hour straight, I'm doing one thing. I'm making cold calls. I'll make a call. I log the task. I make a call. I log the task. After that hour, you're done. If you have a focused hour, you can probably make between 20 and 30 good cold calls and run the triple after, which is where you send them an email and send them a LinkedIn note immediately after, which definitely spikes your response. But the idea is you're not doing this tough thing throughout the whole day. You do it once, you move on. Yeah, you're almost treating it like a really hard workout that you would do and get it done like first thing in the morning. Is that kind of like, you know, you hear the eat the frog thing a lot, right? You guys talk about that a lot. Is that sort of the mentality? This thing's really hard, but I'm going to rip it out first thing in the day and just like get it over with kind of thing. I mean, you ever get in the gym and it's like, I did did one set here and it's like, I look at my phone and three minutes goes by and then like I'm cold again and I lost my, my blood or my sweat or whatever it is. And your workout ends up dragging out across 90 minutes, and then you don't even enjoy working out. So when I'm locked and loaded for a one-hour dial blitz, I time block it. It's actually happening right after this thing. I have 40 call tasks locked and loaded, and I'm just clicking the button and going. And you got to put this thing on autopilot. 
so that you can sprint through this. The worst thing is tripping and hobbling. It's like, oh, did I research this account? Where do I go? Take all that research that Nick gave you. And if you're writing your cold emails right, you're probably tailoring your first cold emails. And then all I'm doing is I'm clicking the dial button, looking at the first email while I cold call, and I'm using that first email tailoring that I already did as my cold call opener. And that's how you machine through this stuff. Right. So you're treating the cold call block as sacred time. Nothing else gets scheduled over this. I'm going to prep beforehand. So like, let's talk about that setup and prep part. What are you doing the day before or before you actually go in to make these cold calls? Like, what are you prepping? If you guys want to get specific here with making sure that, hey, when that hour comes, all I'm doing is picking up the phone and like hammering through these calls. What What's involved in the setup and prep? So first thing here is, If you think of the life cycle of a rep, you need to find accounts, you need to find the prospects on the accounts, then you need to tailor your messaging to those accounts and prospects, and then you need to actually engage. And the cold calling is the fourth step there, is it's actually engaging. So number one, what I like to do is before I cold call, I like to cold call in buckets. And so I typically prefer to pull my accounts in buckets. For example, I'll pull fintech companies, or I'll pull companies in the Andreessen Horowitz portfolio, or I'll pull companies that just raised. So I have a bucket. Then I'll pull the right personas within that bucket so I make sure that I'm calling the right people. And then when I actually make my dials, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to call through buckets. So if I can, I want to call in a row 10 CHROs of fintech companies. And then I want to call 10 head of talent acquisitions for fintech companies. And I want to make sure that I can sprint through even the personas, because if it's like, ah, we work with a couple of recruiting teams. Oh, we work with a couple of HR teams. Oh, we work with a couple of finance teams. Mentally, I have to reset each time and put myself in a different mind frame. So don't just time block your dials, time block your personas within your dials too. That's really good. I think that's so big because if you have to switch mentally between personas, it's big, man. Like it's a really, it takes kind of a toll mentally on you. And then it's like, oh, what am I going to say to this person? It's like, you're allowing yourself to kind of get in the zone. No different than, uh, we've been using a lot of sports analogies, but I played sports too. No different than when you're in practice or a game, you're usually not thinking about other stuff. You know, you're 100% dialed in and a way that you can get into that flow state is really kind of simplifying you know, what you're doing, but some just kind of random questions have come up. And then I want to get some clarification from you guys. Is part of this like mobile phone numbers, landlines, call trees, like what part of that are you prepping in terms of like the phone numbers of the people that you're dialing? Well, you want to have that information. So what I'm not doing is I'm in my cold call blitz and I pull up Armand's contact in Salesforce and I realize I don't have any information. And now I've got to go click into Zoom info and try to find his number. Look, if the number's publicly available, the number's publicly available. I think a lot of people are hesitant to, oh, this might be Armand's cell phone. Maybe I should call it. Maybe not. I'm not really sure. If you find it on the internet, I think it's fair game. And if somebody gets upset that you've called their cell phone, you can apologize and mark them as somebody not to call. Right. You want to make sure you're not doing anything illegal and calling someone who's not on the do not call list. But people are really scared. Like most people are working from home right now. The only phone that I answer is this one because it's the only phone that I own. So if someone wants to cold call me, I'd hope you call my cell phone. If somebody gets upset, where'd you get my number? Tell them the truth. You probably found it on the Internet. The golden rule when you're making cold calls is tell them the truth, because it's actually usually not a bad thing. I found it on the Internet. 
And so your mobile phone numbers are preferable. You're doing all that work beforehand to get right. all the phone numbers in there. So you're like, you're really getting into like very like workflow. Like, dude, I don't want to open up a prospect and not have a phone number there. Like I need to be focused on dialing. Right. right. The next uh, thing, Jason, other... on, on that also. Oh, so what I also do is I call out a sales force. And so I, I make tasks. And what I do is most people will name their task something like follow up with Armand about X. And I see that task and I think, well, okay, what am I following up with Armand about? Have I talked with him before? What I actually do is I name my tasks first words that are going to come out of my mouth, especially if I've spoken with that person before. Armand, you and I talked last June and you told me you were in the middle of an office move and you wanted me to get in touch with you in April to talk about X. What I'm not doing is just saying follow. Now, if it's the first touch, you're naming it something different, right? I look at a couple key things. I call law firms. I look at how big is the law firm? What type of law do they practice? What's the persona that I'm calling? But those are sort of the three things. What I'm not doing is I'm not doing an hour and a half's worth of research into Armand to find out where he went to high school and, oh, he's got a corgi. It's a corgi. I better find a way to work that corgi into my intro when he picks up the phone and then my brain blows up. Like, I think a lot of people over-research their cold calls and you certainly don't want to like just spray and pray, but you need to find your like top three. Armand, you talk about this a lot. You look at your buyer triggers, reasons that you could be reaching out to this human being. When you find one, make the decision that that's going to be the reason I call. Spending an hour and a half researching Armand's puppy to come up with a clever phone opener, it doesn't really yield the result that I'm looking for because Armand might just be a jerk and he doesn't care how much research I did. And Armand, did you have something to add to that? I want to, before we get to the research, people are asking about, well, what time should you call? And it sounds like neither of you two, you because people were asking, neither of you two use a dialer either. Right. You don't have, you aren't sitting in front of the computer and it's just dialing for you. Like, Nick, you're hammering out these calls. Like, Armand, anything else structurally for you around what time you choose to do these calls, how you prep for them, anything else you want to add before we get to that research component that Nick brought up? Yeah. So I know actually Nick does use a dialer. I don't. Um, the reason is I need to hit on every single account and I don't have the luxury of like having a, a cold call open up and it's like, I don't know who this is and because I have a somewhat smaller market and territory to work with them. But in terms of the timing of the dials, here's the deal is you might get a 5% higher or a 5% lower connect rate by dialing at, I don't know, 4 p.m. instead of 9 a.m. Any of those moderate lifts in your connect rates or in people actually booking a meeting will be canceled out by the fact that at 4 p.m., you don't wanna make cold calls. And I know you don't wanna make cold calls. <laughs> and so what I do is every single day, I cold call in the morning. So I wake up and I go in the morning. And then when I'm a little bit behind on my dials, what I'll do is once or twice a week, maybe I'll have an afternoon block just to make sure that I have a little bit of diversity in my timing, but I'm going to optimize for the thing that is going to make me most likely to cold call. And that is cold calling in the morning. And so first thing in the morning, when I wake up, clear out my inbox, I get in there for an hour. It's 9.30. If I've done a good dial blitz by the end from 8.30 to 9.30, I've cleared my inbox. I've hopefully booked a meeting, maybe two. And then I have from 9.30 for the rest of the day to do anything that is not cold calling, which right. is honestly how I'd like my life to be. <laughs> I love this. You approach it much like, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss says the best diet is the one that you're most likely to follow. So you could do keto, but it's really, really hard. And it may not be the best for you because it's really hard for you to do on a consistent basis. So you guys are very much, yeah, which I love. What are you going to be most consistent with 
on a day-to-day basis. And it sounds like getting that done first thing in the morning and then having some afternoon time for overflow. I 100% agree with that. And Nick, you sort of alluded to the research piece. And you guys, we're, we're about to get to like the intro and the structure of the call here in a second, but this is going to drive that piece for those of you guys that are hanging on here. Armand, research-wise, what level of research are you expecting to do prior to picking up the phone and calling to someone? What goes into that part? Definitely. So I go pretty programmatic on this. So this is something that you might need some notes on, but basically I tear out my accounts into my A's, B's, and C tier accounts. Okay. My C tier accounts are only going to get bucket level tailoring. And what I mean by that is that's only going to be the category of accounts that I pull. For example, my C tier accounts are going to be like, hey, we work with a couple of Andreessen Horowitz portfolio companies, or hey, we work with a couple of fintech companies. Literally, as I'm pulling my list, they fall into some sort of moderate tailoring, right? My B tiers are going to get company level tailoring, which means going back to Nick's point about buyer triggers, figure out for your sale, what is it that makes a company buy your product? For me, for example, if they've been growing over 25% year over year, if they're over 150 employees, and if they've raised in the last two years, to me, I know that's at least a solid B tier account, right? And I'm literally going to go and look for those three, four, or five buyer triggers. And when I find two, I'm going to stop. And every person on the account will get that company level tailoring, right? And so, for example, we might say, hey, congrats, you just raised a round. We work with a couple of Andreessen portfolio companies. It's Armand Epave. Have you heard a name toss around? That's what my B tiers did. Yeah. Can you real quick, Armand, just in case people don't know what PAVE does, can you explain why those are good triggers like for what you do at PAVE, like just so people can hear the connection? Yeah. So PAVE, essentially what we do is we help people plan compensation. So you want to keep people around. How much of a raise should I give this person? You want to hire people? How much should I pay that person? Right? And so if a company isn't growing, if a company is not continuing to fundraise, if they're not adding more people, then that means their compensation world is, is a little bit stagnant, which means what we do isn't that big of a problem if you just have a bunch of people who have a tenure of 10 years on average, for example. And that's why that we probably don't sell to the same pr- types of prospects that Nick will sell to because he has a bunch of people who have been at the law firm for their entire lives. And so those are some of our big buyer triggers for that reason. You're doing a lot of your research is accomplished through segmentation. That's correct. So you don't have to think about like every person as an individual that you're reaching out to, because if they're a B or C priority, like they're not going to get that level of tailoring. And you're looking at it like I only have so much time in the week. You're making about what, five to seven hours of cold calls per week. It sounds like something in that range. And you, that doesn't mean that you can spend all that time equally with everyone. I always say don't treat prospects equally. So you're willing to customize more stuff for the people that are really good fits and less for the other types of folks. Nick, do you tier at all? Any other insights around how you kind of segment research, anything like that before we get to kind of the mechanics of the cold call? I don't. Well, I mean, I sell something that's really different than Armand. I sell what you might call a, a legal practice management system. If you think about how a law firm operates, they've got to uh, you know, find clients, add those clients to a system of record, send bills to those clients, manage their books. And so I sell it's like a billing, accounting, practice management tool. Sometimes we call it like a legal ERP thing. So I look at things like, what type of law does this law firm practice? Because the way that I talk to a, a personal injury firm will be really different than how I would talk to like 
a family law firm. And so I've got to understand that because that's going to inform what I say when that person picks up the phone. So that's part of your segmentation then too, is thinking of like their use case and the problem it's going to right. solve for them. And like, I need to cheer that kind of out too. Right. So again, that you can get into a rhythm. And just because people are asking this too, one thing I forgot to ask you guys was, and I know it's different for everyone, but how do you determine, like you're reaching out to one person at the company at a time? Like, how do you determine how many different people or if it's cross department? Like, how do you think about the uh, kind of like account planning stage of who you're going to prospect to and how many of those people? Yeah, so the, this one is is oftentimes where people will get tripped up on their own workflow. And what they try to do is they're like, I'm going to work these three people first, and then I'm going to work these three people next, and then these three people next. But the reality is if you're working 100, 200, 300 accounts, there's no way you're going to be able to operationalize that. You can't remember, oh, I worked these three this date, and then I got to work these three this yeah. date on 50 of my 300 accounts. You're going to get totally lost in there. And so I like to think of it as sort of like, you know, you have your nutrition pyramid, right? And so I'm going to start in the organization at the highest point for that company size. For example, if I'm reaching out to a company that's around 100 employees, relatively small company, I'm probably going to have the CEO and the head of HR, and then like maybe one other person on the account. If I have a big 3,000 person conglomerate, they probably have a CEO, a head of HR, 20 HR business partners, 10 talent coordinators, and I can't reach out to all those people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a line in the organization. And usually at that point, it would be director and above. And I'm going to work all of the relevant personas director and above, depending on the size of the account. Got it. What about you, Nick? How do you think about that part? Yeah, I'm with Armand in that if you try it, like I think sometimes new salespeople are really scared like about reaching out to multiple people at the same company at a time because like what if Armand rejects me and then three hours later that email gets forwarded that I sent to the other person and the idea is I actually want to go after all of these contacts at an account at one time because often what happens is behind the scenes is you send the email to the CEO and she forwards it to the marketing director who you also reached out to and now that person has gotten multiple touches and they say, all right, I got to respond to this Armand guy because he's contacting multiple people. It actually helps you to break into the account and you might get a rejection, but that's okay. You're detaching from the outcome when you're prospecting. It doesn't matter if you get a meeting or if you get rejected. Those things are going to yeah. happen. You're going to get people who say, don't email Armand. He's our CEO. And that that's okay. But it's too hard to try and keep track of, oh, I reached out to Sean. I reached out to Emma. Okay, now it's time to call Armand. I'm probably reaching out to between three to five contacts. I think it's a waste of effort to go down all the way to the bottom and be, be calling people who are super, super low. You might want to tear it out the way that Armand explained there. No, I love this. Let's get to some of the tactical parts around the call, you guys. Oh, it's my favorite uh, A lot part. of you guys are asking questions in the chat, by the way, around sequencing. We're not going to talk about sequences in this, but uh, make sure to like keep your eyes out for the email. We're going to send it afterwards with a recording. There'll be other resources and stuff you can check out. So we look at the the call in kind of three parts. Like you have your kind of your intro opener, right. some sort of problem, proposition statement, um, I call that the hook and then the close, right. right? How do you secure the meeting? Let's talk about openers. Nick, let's go ahead and start with you. How do you think about the opener? What are some examples of what that sounds like? Let's uh, let's give the people what they came for here. Let's give them what they came for. So most salespeople, when they start cold calling, they lean on one of two things. They say, hey, how's your day going? And you can't honestly tell me that when you cold call Jason Bay, and then you're going to cold call 
70 other Jason Bays that week. You care how each individual day is going of those people. So you're already leading with dishonesty when you say, how's your day going? Because they know you don't really care. You're trying to get a meeting. The other thing people will often say is, did I catch you at a bad time? Well, you're making a cold call. Of course, it's a bad time. So here's the way that I think about it. When you call somebody who is not expecting your call and they pick up the phone, they immediately need to know a couple things. Who is this person? Where are they calling from? Why are they calling me? Because I've got a, I've got a job I'm trying to take care of right now. You're interrupting their day. And how long is this thing going to take? Because like, I need to get back to my work. So when somebody picks up the phone and they say hello, or they say, hello, this is Armand. Here is exactly what comes out of, out of my mouth. Armand, this is Nick with 30 Minutes to President's Club. I know you didn't expect me to call you this afternoon. Do you mind if I take one minute? I'll tell you why I'm calling. And then you can let me know if it makes sense for us to speak. That's it. Here's what I've done. Armand, this is Nick with 30 Minutes to President's Club. There's my name. There's my company. I've got nothing to hide. I'm a professional. The next thing is I'm acknowledging that I'm an interruption here. He doesn't know me. I I don't know him yet. I know you didn't expect me to call you. It's the truth. You're showing that you've got a tiny bit of emotional intelligence, which people need to know. And then you're saying, look, do you mind if I take one minute? You can tell me if it makes sense for us to speak or not. What you're showing there is the other person's in control. And if you think about the perspective of the person that you're cold calling, when they answer the phone, part of the reason so many people get hung up on is the prospect that you're calling, you've taken away their autonomy. You've stolen time away from them. And they don't like that, which is why people reject you and they hang up on you. When you give them control and say, you're going to be able to tell me whether or not we should continue this call the guard comes down a little bit. Now I can talk about what I say after that, but you might have follow-up questions. And Armand's even got probably a slicker opener than me. I just dropped that, by the way, in the chat for you guys, my best uh, on-the-fly transcription of it. So like, if we kind of break this down a little bit, you're immediately introducing yourself at the beginning. Right. And I know this might run contrary to what Armand does too. So I'm curious to see the differences because you guys are a really good example. All three of us actually are a good example of how you can do things slightly differently, but it kind of incorporates a lot of the same principles, but you're very open with who you are and like where you're calling from. Name, name company, company, you didn't expect right me to call top. you. Do you mind if I take, and what I'm doing to the tone's really important too. Like I'm almost like yeah, when I say, I know you didn't expect me to call you. It's like, I'm almost like the kid who got his hand caught in the cookie jar. I'm like, <laughs> I know you didn't expect me to call you. Like, I'm in on this too. What I'm trying to communicate with that tone is, I don't really want to be doing this. I don't want to be making cold calls. I'd rather just get inbound leads, but I have to do this. It's part of the job. I know you didn't expect me to cold call you. Do you mind if I take one minute? I'll tell you why I called, right? I'm trying to like, let's get this over with. And then you can tell me whether or not it makes sense for us to speak. And then if they say, all right, go ahead. Usually what I'll say is great. And then you can hang up on me because I'm sure you, you hate getting cold called just as much as I hate making these things. And then they laugh and I'm like, yeah, really, my boss is forcing me to do this, right? I'm throwing my boss yeah. under, the, <laughs> under the bus a little bit. That's sort of the disarmingly blunt thing. The truth is I don't like doing this. That's why I'm doing it in an hour sprint. And when you tell them the truth, Again, the cardinal rule of cold calling is you always tell the truth. Where'd you get my phone number? I found it on the internet. I subscribed to a a tool called Zoom Info. It's the truth. Go yell at Zoom Info, not me. I don't like making these cold calls. I know you don't like getting them. I know you didn't expect me to call you. Those things are all the truth. But what most salespeople think is they've got to put their sales hat on and ask the person how their day is going. That's not genuine. That's not the truth. You don't care how that person's day is going. They're going to respond, 
It's all right. What's this about? Instantly, you're going like that. So that's part of the drop the formality part. Right. It sounds like for you is the niceties. You don't give a shit anyways, how this person is doing. So and they know that you don't care either. Right. Scott Bucci, by the way, because this is the most popular question to Q&A. We're, we're answering your question right now with these openers. Armand, what's your hot take, dude? I know you got a very different approach. Some of the same kind of uh, technique and um, fundamentals here. But what's your take on the approach and the intro? All right. Hot take. It's a controversial opener. It's the one that I've used since I was 18 years old. Here's the deal. If you believe that the best cold emails begin with what? Nick, Jason, what do the best cold emails begin with? I hope you are safe and well in these dangerous times. No, not I hope you are safe and well in these dangerous times. It's what you know about them. That was pretty good. It's what do I know about you? What do I know about your business? Before I introduce myself, before I talk about the products that I sell, before I talk about the problems that I solve, it's what I know about you. And that's how you got to start your cold call. I'm not even going to introduce myself. If I pick up the phone in the right way and I've done my job right, in the first half of my opener, the person will think, oh, shoot, this person's in my network or this person gets my business. And so going back to the bucket level tailoring at the beginning, all I'm going to do is I'm going to take the category or other similar companies that I work with and I'm going to fold that into the front of my opener and then I'm going to ask them if they've heard my name tossed around. And so what it sounds like is if I was selling Nick's product, I would say like, hey, I work with a couple of other uh, Chicago law firms out here. It's Armand at SurePoint. Have you heard my name tossed around? Or at PAVE, I'll say, hey, Jason, we, we work with a couple of their uh, Sequoia portfolio companies. It's uh, Armand at PAVE. Have you heard my name tossed around? And so what I'm doing is I'm leading with context. And once I say, I work with a number of Sequoia portfolio companies, you're sitting up. You're like, oh, shoot, this person gets a Sequoia portfolio. And then I'm introducing myself and asking if you've heard my name tossed around, which is assumptive. And what it means is like, hey, you probably should have heard our name tossed around because I work with a bunch of folks like you. If they say, no, I haven't heard your name tossed around, which is usually what happens, which by the way, is not an excuse because no one's heard our name tossed around at PAVE because I was employee number nine. All I'm going to do is roll right into Nick's opener after that. I'm sure you hate getting cold calls. Can I get 27 seconds to tell you why I'm calling and then you can hang up on me then? Is that all right? If they say yes, I don't actually have to pitch. I can just say, shoot. Like, look, honestly, that means we probably screwed something up. We'd normally be working with a company with you all, like you all by now. What'd you hear? And that's the opener. Heard the name tossed around, roll into the permission-based opener. Love it. I dropped that in the chat for you guys as well. So a key here, it sounds like, is you need to bring some element of familiarity immediately into the call. Like the first five seconds need to have some sort of element of familiarity. If it's not a portfolio company with the same investor and want to dig into this because people might not have that. What I caught from you there is like maybe throwing around similar companies that you've worked with or some sort of geography. Is there any other ways that you can bring familiarity in? Armand gave it a good example. Like he said, Chicago law firms. I might say, hey, we work with a number of other family law firms in the Southeast. It's Nick at Shorepoint. Have you heard our name tossed around? The idea is you've done some research, right? And you're weaving that context and research in up front. So hopefully you're not just pulling a list of a thousand directors of marketing and hammering that list. Like we talked about over-researching, but like you want to look at one of those buyer triggers or have a sense of the business because 
hopefully if your opener is good, you're going to then get permission to say why you called. So you're doing some level of research and then you're weaving that in. You work with similar companies. You work with similar industries. You work with similar titles. And so you're doing something to get them to say, all right, this dude is not just trying to sell me a car warranty. So David Sanchez commented something that I love this technique. He said, uh, previous employee in a company that is a customer of yours, that's also a good one. Right. That's a filter you can look for on Sales Navigator. Under uh, past company, put your current clients in there. And I never thought of opening the call with the first sentence being, hey, Armand, notice you used to work at ABC Company, uh, who's a customer of ours. Have you heard our name tossed around or heard my name tossed around? That's actually probably the most powerful one you can get is if you can say like, yeah. hey, we work with Uber. I know you used to work there. Have you heard our name tossed around? There's no way they're oh, not going to take that. that call. Right. Yeah. There's so many variations of that that you can do too. And Sales Navigator, you guys, we don't have time to talk about it today, but that is a gold mine of finding these kind of things. Okay. So let's get to this next part. So we have intro. And by the way, I'm curious from you two, what percentage, if you had to guesstimate, how many people say, yeah, go ahead. You got 30 seconds. How many people say yes versus people that say now? In my last two weeks of dialing, I had one person say, after I said, can I get 27 seconds? They said, I'm not interested. And I was like, do you know what we do? But the vast majority of people will actually give you the time of day if you use the permission-based opener the right way. Right. I'm probably saying 85% of the people will, yeah. will say, all right, you got a minute. Or they'll say, hey, I'm about to go into a Zoom meeting. I'm sorry. I thought you were the Zoom calling me. I, I can't take your call. And I say, no problem. I'll, I'll call you another time. And then the next time that they answer the phone, you say, Armand, this is Nick with 30 Minutes of Presidents Club. You and I spoke on Tuesday and you were about to go into a Zoom meeting and, and you said that I should call back at a different time. Do you have 27 seconds now? And then you can hang up on me. Yeah. Like the idea is then you like, we've spoken before, you know me, we've connected before. And then at the very least, I'm like, wow, this guy's persistent. He cares. So I love that. So Nick, the problem, the proposition statement, right. the hook, the value, the pitch, whatever you want to call it, right? right? So they give you an opportunity. They give you 30 seconds. They give you a minute. How do you think about structuring what you say next? What does that look like, sound like? This is where most salespeople screw it up. You cold call enough, you ask enough people how their day's going, or is this a bedtime? People are eventually going to give you permission if you just hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. You get a lot more people say yes when you use one of these openers. But most salespeople then go right into the stuff that they learned at boot camp, and they're going to they're gonna give the prospect their value proposition, or they're going to tell them that we're the leading provider of X. Honestly, I don't really like the value proposition because it has nothing really to do with the other person in my mind. I don't even really ask them a question. What I'm doing is I lean on what I call a problem proposition, which might sound something like, Armand, the reason I'm calling you, I've spoken with a couple of other X, insert the title that that person is, who have been frustrated, stressed, anxious, troubled. I'm saying a, a word that sort of indicates pain with, and then I'm saying a very specific problem that we solve, that my company solves. I'm calling you about something that makes that problem easier. And I'm wondering if you'd be open to learning more when I'm, when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. So what I'm not saying is, hey, we're the leading provider of X and I'd like to schedule a meeting with you. What I'm doing is I'm saying, I've spoken with a couple of other people who are like in your role, who have been dealing with a problem. And I'm calling you about something that makes that problem go away. Are you interested in learning more about that? Not now, because I've interrupted your day, but when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue, because I'm trying to pull out a couple things here. One, if they don't have that problem, okay, we probably can't help them. 
Two, if they're not interested in solving that problem, all right, well then there we go, no meeting. So what I'm doing is I'm saying, basically, do you have this problem? I've spoken with a couple of other people who are in your, your role who are dealing with the problem we solve. I can help that problem go away. Would you like to talk with me about making that problem go away? If the answer to, do you have the problem is no? Okay, probably not a fit. If the answer is, don't want to make that problem go away, it might not be big enough, which means I might need to call them next quarter with a different problem in mind because you hopefully solve for more than just one thing. Can you give that line again at the end? I think is brilliant. I, and I've used this a lot too after hearing from you guys that uh, that call to action. Right. So I might, you know, it might be something like, Jason, I've, I've talked to a couple of other account executives who have been kind of frustrated with trying to find phone numbers for the people that they're trying to call. I'm calling you about something that, that makes that problem a little bit easier. And I'm wondering if you'd be open to learning more when I'm, when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue. The laugh's really intentional. You can hear, like it's the exact same cadence that comes out every time. Would you be open to learning more when I'm, when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue? And the way that you do that, you've got to, we've done the working out analogy forever, but you've got to practice that again and again and again. I probably look like a crazy person when I'm walking around Pasadena, California, where I live on the streets, I say that again and again and again and again to myself so that when I'm in the moment and there's a real live person who's on the call who could get angry at me, like it just comes out automatically. I love that line. I'm wondering if you'd be open to learning more, you know, when I'm not cold calling you out of the blue in the middle of your day here. Well, the idea is you're taking away the pressure of now. A big part of the reason you get hung up on is you're actually interrupting that person when they're trying to put something together for their boss and they're stressed and really focused on that. And you're also showing, I'm going to respect your time because I'm asking, do you want to learn more? I'm going to go away after this. We could schedule time at your convenience, but I'm not trying to now ask you a question. How are you getting that done today? Armand, what about you, man? How do you structure this next part of the call once the person says, yeah, you got 27 seconds. What's up? Yeah, you got 27 seconds. I'm very similar. Here's the key is you have to be dangerously specific about the problem that you're describing. When you talk about the problem that you solve for your customers, you should actually get a good laugh about it because you make it seem so ridiculous that they're doing this process today. For example, if I go back to PAVE, we help companies plan their compensation. One of the hard things about planning compensation is you need to understand how much do they get paid? How much equity do they have? How are they performing? as an individual, what's their bonus plan, what's their commission plan. And those things can live in four or five different systems. And so you have to pull all of those systems in one place, which means you're very deeply buried in spreadsheets, right? And so what my opener sounds like, or what my problem proposition sounds like rather, is like, hey, look, the reason that I call is usually when I'm talking to a people ops leader like you, is uh, you're about to take a Tums because you're getting an ulcer from your 315th performance spreadsheet right now. And it's a complete nightmare to plan your merit cycles. We integrate with your performance, your salary, your, your bonuses, your equity. So you never have to build one of those nonsense spreadsheets again, and you can put the thumbs down. Is that even moderately interesting? And that's it. I'm not even really talking about the product that I have. I'm literally just saying, this is the worst problem in the world. You get a pretty good laugh on the other line. And I just say, hey, I solved that problem. Is that even moderately interesting for you? And it's probably moderately interesting. So one thing I want to talk about too, is that the person can't see you when you're cold calling them, obviously, but I can hear your body language. And with video, it's kind of interesting because I can see you guys doing stuff like this. See you guys doing stuff like this. You know, it's like, <laughs> Hey, you know, I do the same kind of thing. If, if someone saw me cold, they think I was a maniac. You know what I mean? Like pacing around <laughs> the office here, like, you know, doing like these, eh, you know, like that kind of thing. I love that, dude. I love the, is that even moderately interesting? 
And I think the key here is that you guys are very, very in tune with the problems. And again, we could spend a whole hour talking about that, but do you guys have any quick hitting tips on how to make those problems like more specific? Because that's where I feel like people miss the mark completely, where it's like doing the equivalent of, hey, um, do you have a problem with your reps not setting enough meetings? It's like, well, yeah, but there's like, it's so much more nuanced than that. You know what I mean? So what's your guys' take on that? Any, any quick advice? So if you're an SDR, go listen to your best AE do deep discovery. If you're an AE, go ask why three times, dig deep, deep into the process, right? They might start with a surface level problem. Like, I don't think we're generating enough leads. Well, why aren't you generating enough leads? How are you generating leads today? Like, what are the problems with your lead generation today? And as they get deep three layers in, use the third layer of problems, not the first layer of we don't have enough leads. Everything in the world saves time, saves money, or prevents you from getting sued. You have to get much more specific than those three things. So dig three layers beyond that. I mean, talking about saving time and saving money, it instantly puts you in like the telemarketer bucket. And so you're calling it about a very specific problem. I love what you said, Armand, about asking why again. Okay, you don't have enough leads. Why? Oh, okay. You can't find phone numbers. Why? Like what's going on here? And so when you go deeper and there's a fear, I think that a lot of salespeople have that they're going to be too specific and like the problems here and they miss it a little bit. But the thing is, if you even get close One, if you're too general, they just tune you out. And if you get super specific, but you miss their problem, like you're adjacent to the problem in what you described, you're probably close enough. But then at least you can call them a couple months later and and then say the problem a little bit differently or say a different problem even. So when in doubt, go too specific. Because if you go super, super, super specific, they might even ask you a follow-up question. Like, wait, what do you mean? Which gives you then permission to explain more. Yeah. The one thing that I say that that works well is I'll be like, you know, when I talk to sales directors, the one thing I hear them complain about is like when their reps open up their sales engagement tool and they see job titles with VP or chief something, and they tend to skip those tasks because they're too afraid to call them, you know, like, and they're like, oh, that's like really specific for them, you know? Okay. We got 10 minutes. We got to get to the objections too. So let's kind of get to the really obvious ones. So what if someone right then you do your pitch, they said not interested. Armand, I know you got a you got a fun take on this one. So Armand, yeah, I hear you, man. Not interested though. What how do you handle that? Yeah. So this is where we're gonna get some hot takes. This is where disarmingly blunt really comes in. Is I'm just gonna call it out because here's the deal. Not interested, call me in six months, send me an email. It's those aren't real objections. They're not real objections. They're just SWATs. Their goal is to try to get you off the phone as quickly as possible. And so I'm just gonna call it out and try to get to the real objection. And so the real objection is they've got something in place probably. And so what I'm going to say is my general framework for handling objections is I'm going to agree with you, push you away, and then ask you a blunt question. And so I'm going to say, Jason, I totally get it, man. I'm cold calling you. And my guess is if you're interested, you probably would have requested a demo. So that's totally on me. I guess if I could ask, is it because you got something really good going on? Or is it because you just hate getting cold calls as much as I hate making them? Either way, let me know and I can take you out of the system. And you'll get a good laugh and they'll tell you the actual objection, which is, oh, we have this solution in place. Oh, we don't have this going on until the next nine months down the road. And then you can handle that objection 
instead of trying to throw I'm the leading provider of lead routing software down their throat when they say I'm not interested. Yeah, you guys, I'm not going to have time to transcribe these. The recording will be sent out to you. And trust me, you'll get to listen to this um, over and over and over again if you want. So I'm glad you made that clarification to Armand that this is like any shallow kind of objection where they just give you a total BS answer. This works. Nick, what about you? Well, yeah. So like, here's a trap a lot of people get caught in. Send me an email. Oh, awesome. Okay. You hang up the phone. Now I go put together like a 30 minute email. I'm hyperlinking things. I attach two case studies and then I hit send on Jason's email and he immediately puts it in the trash and send me an email is also sort of a SWAT. And so sometimes like 10% of the time, like they're legitimately interested, but what you should never do is just like agree, hang up and send the email. So yeah, it's a brush off, right, Jack? What you want to do there is, again, roll into the disarmingly blunt. And what I lean on is if you sense it, say it. If you feel it in your gut, you're in sales. Hopefully, you have a little bit of emotional intelligence. So if Armand tells me, yeah, yeah, man, send me an email and I'll take a look. You say something like, Armand, can I ask you a sort of awkward question? Okay, well, Armand's like, yeah, what's going on? I've been making a lot of these cold calls and a lot of people ask me to send them an email. And a lot of times I spend time putting something together and it's really just their polite way of saying they're not really interested in in my sort of lame cold call. Am I completely off base with that? What happens is if they're legitimately interested and want an email, they'll be like, no, man, you're good. Don't worry about it. And if they're not interested, you've thrown yourself under the bus so much. Like, I think sometimes, again, we talk about putting the sales hat on. Salespeople think they've got to be like charismatic and good looking and super personable, which Armand and I really aren't either of those things. At least I'm a little good looking. Sorry, Armand. Uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing you. And so what happens is when you go the complete opposite that and you're like this, you're confident when you do the opener, what happens is when you turn yourself into the, the salesperson who's like, oh, you know, I've been making a lot of these cold calls and I feel kind of awkward. Like they want to rush in and save you. It's called the humbling disclaimer. Like I feel really bad. I don't want to waste my time or yours. Can I be direct with you? They'll jump in and save you. No, man, I'm just like what you said wasn't really interesting or we've got something in place or we're about to move offices. And so I can't even think about this stuff. You've gotten to the real objection. You're not just taking it at face value. That's part of it. Also, when you get swatted, you can't just take it at face value. Another example, Armand, you handle this really well. I'm in a meeting. You called me. I'm in a meeting. What do you say to that, Armand? It amazes me. If you're in the chat and you've answered your phone during a meeting, please say so. Cause I would love to understand why in the world you answered meeting, but I have, I've never answered my phone in the meeting. And so what I usually say is, again, I'm going to like sort of agree with them, push them away and be like, here's what it sounds like. Whoa, like, Nick, thanks for taking my call. I guess <laughs> since you, I at least interrupted your meeting now, I'd hate to call you in the middle of another one. Can I give you like the 27 second spiel so I never interrupt another meeting again and then you can hang up on me forever? Is that all right? I saw somebody, uh, I saw this on LinkedIn. Somebody's response to that was, oh, well, will you put me on speakerphone so everybody can hear me botch my pitch? And the person laughed, they put him on speaker and they got the meeting. I forget who it was, but like. Oh, yeah. Disarmingly blunt. Look at that. I'm, most people yeah. are like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Could you please send me a detailed schedule so I never interrupt your day again? Or I'll take you off my list. No, <laughs> you answered the phone in the meeting. Put me on speaker. I want the whole team to hear me fail. Let me give them a laugh. One, one thing I want to point out too is that, you know, I used to do stand up comedy and the same kind of thing. And I was not, I was all right, you know, N no Kevin Hart for sure. I think, but you're fine, when Jason. you tell a joke and people don't laugh, 
if you can be like, oh, I must have like really missed on that one. And then people kind of chuckle. You're giving them permission to like, oh, okay. Like the pressure's off. Like they can, they know that you know that that wasn't funny and that you missed. And in a way you guys are kind of doing that where it's like, when you say I missed or, hey, it sounds like I might've missed here. You're giving them permission to be like way more candid with you. And like, no one wants to see another person fail usually. So keep in mind, like if you really miss on a cold call, it can feel kind of cringy for the prospect too. And you guys are making, like you guys are putting them in the opposite state where it's like, if you mess up or you miss the boat or whatever, like you're totally fine owning that. Like it doesn't hurt you at all, you know, in the least bit. You guys, we got about two and a half minutes here. I want to make sure that you guys have some time to like, this was awesome, by the way. I learned a lot. I can't wait to piece this up into some LinkedIn videos, but I want to drop in a link here for you guys. Nick and Armand have a whole podcast that's awesome. And there's a specific episode I dropped into the chat on cold calling that's got even more nuggets in it. But you guys, this is freaking awesome. Like anything you want to leave us with, where can people go to check you out and like your content and get more stuff? Yeah, I mean, this is so much fun. And what a freaking chat room you have here. An amazing group we had on today. We would love it if everybody shot us a connection request, shot us a DM on LinkedIn, because every week we try to post some actionable takeaways on LinkedIn. So I'm the only Armand Farouk. I think Nick is the only Nick Sigelski out there. We have some weird names. So definitely add us on LinkedIn and listen to that cold calling episode on 30 Minutes President's Club. Jason has an awesome podcast. We've had him on a couple of times too. So definitely go check out his episodes on 30 MPC as well. Nick, what about you, man? I dropped your guys' LinkedIn profiles in here. I uh, dropped in the episode. You're getting lots of love here. You guys, anything you want to leave us with, Nick? Well, the chat made me laugh. I liked the comments about the crystal and uh, you know the, the, the good lookingness of the respective guests. But I accept all the LinkedIn requests that I get, but it would really warm my heart if somebody put something like a note, you heard me on this webinar and something you took away. The only LinkedIn requests I don't accept are when people are trying to sell me leads in the connection request. So yeah, or Bitcoin. But no, this was a blast, man. I would I would love to do this again. This this gave me so much energy. I had a lot of fun. I mean, there's so many more topics that we could talk about. We had at one point over 400 people on the webinar today. So thank you everyone for the participation. Keep your eye out for the recording afterwards. I'll send it out probably later today or first thing tomorrow morning at the latest. But Nick Armand, thank you so much, man, for spending an hour with us. And everyone, thank you so much for the participation. And uh, have a good rest of your day, guys. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Cheers. See you later. Later, everyone. That was a really fun one. I hope you enjoyed it. One of my big takeaways from both of these guys, and especially Armand, is this disarmingly blunt. You know, it's how to, you know, it reminds me of like, I don't know if you think about like the people that you've interacted with in your life especially in a work setting where you've had the most rapport with them typically there's this kind of confidence that you have between you two and it's almost like playful teasing a little bit and he's essentially doing a form of that through the cold call which i think is really cool because it does deliver on the promise of dropping the formality too which i really think people want to just talk you know they don't want to be cold called or pitched or anything like that they really just want to talk to someone and have a human conversation with them human to human and person to person right and just see hey is this something we should have a further conversation or not about so this was a super fun one one quick thing before you take off go and check out nick in our month's podcast it's called 30 seconds to president's club so go ahead and check it out it's a really really good episode and thanks for tuning in today we'll talk to you soon